turn in your Bibles. There's a book in the Bible named Hebrews. And uh, Chuck's going to feel good for our radio ministry. He said, when, Pastor? We've got to get to it. Before we begin chapter 12, let me give you a review of what the book's about, where we've been. And uh, this book is about Jesus being the best. Jesus is the best. And the temptation was for Jews who had come to Christ, who were being persecuted and suffering, to go back to Judaism, to go back. It was costing too much to be a believer. It was costing too much to be a Christian. So they were being tempted, go back, go back. And so the author of the book begins to tell us some things, nine things at least, and I'm sure there's more, but by way of summary and review, let me just repeat them to you of uh, what the book is argued. Number one, Christ is the greatest revelation of God to be had. And that's Hebrews 1. He's better than prophets. He's better than all the various ways God has talked to us. The Son is the supreme revelation of God. Chapter 1, 2. He's greater than angels. For which of the angels did he ever say, be seated here at my right hand? None have ever been given the honor that has been given to Christ. Three, he's the perfect God-man in chapter 2, where he comes and he takes on the weaknesses of the human race without sinning, and he dies and becomes a sympathetic high priest. His humanity, he can identify with us. He is the greatest rest for the soul. In chapter 3 and 4, he said, Joshua offered a rest that most of them never enjoyed. Moses offered a rest because they fell in unbelief. Christ is God's best rest. Rest in him. And you won't fear sin. You won't fear the chains of sin. And so he's our rest. He's greater than the ironic priesthood, which keeps dying, dying, dying. Christ became a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's a priest, doesn't relate to the tribe of Levi. He brought a brand new priesthood. He's the greatest. He is a mediator of a better covenant. The old covenant, we failed. We were proven to be sinners. And he came to institute a new covenant, chapter 8 and part of 9. Uh, he is the intercessor in a greater tabernacle. He's in the heavenly tabernacle, not the earthly tabernacle. That's passed away. He ministers from up there. He is the greatest sacrifice, no longer bulls and goats. He is the supreme sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time, no more sacrifice. We do not re-crucify Christ in communion. We take that cup. We're not putting him to death again. One death is enough forever. Don't re-crucify him. Uh, he is the supreme object of our faith. Not the prophets, not the heroes we'll look at. Christ himself is the hero of our faith. Now, we're going to look at the first three verses. And he picks up an athletic theme. He's said 
These people have run the race of faith in chapter 11. They've run the race of faith. Now listen to this exhortation. Therefore, therefore because of what? Because of those who have lived for God by faith. Daniel, Joseph, Job, on and on, Jephthah, Samson, all these heroes in chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. All right, let us become athletes. We're in the race. Four things we need for this race. Four things. We need some heroes. You need some heroes. Now, if you're not an athlete, you don't know what in the world I'm talking about. But if you're Steph and you're Clay and the Chicago Bulls set a world record of 62 wins, you've got to compete against former records. I can beat it. I can get better. Some of you, you wore out using the remote. But if you run in the race, you know what that means. So we need heroes. Two, we need a coach. We need a coach. Believe it or not, Steve Kerr is vital to the team. And if you're not in touch with these names, you're out of touch in the Bay Area. We need endurance. Third thing you need is endurance. Fourthly, we need a goal. We need a goal. Um, let's talk. We need some heroes. You, you may like the term models, examples. I choose heroes. Thinking of the race. Thinking of the race. You know, it's kind of interesting, even when I was going through Richmond High and different schools, you'd always look on the wall and see those who'd set records for this, set records for that, set records. Yeah, you're always, uh, if you're athletic, you were concerned. Has anybody ever done this before? Has, ever, has anybody ever achieved this before? And here, the author is saying, you need to study the heroes who by faith overcame the jaws of lions, were delivered from fiery furnaces, who saw their loved ones raised from the dead, who were thrown in prison and believed the dream that God would elevate them, that scraped the boils with a piece of rock or something and buried ten children and would not curse God and die. Why don't you take courage? If God can get Job through, surely he can get you through. Because he's taking on a people that are suffering, being persecuted. Their homes are being repossessed. The Jewish community is not hiring them. Many of them will flee all over the Mediterranean area. 
They'll go to Spain. Manuel Fernandez, he said, many, he's Jewish in background, though he's from Spain. Because he said so many Jews fleeing Spain took the name Fernandez. Who knows, Susie might be thoroughbred Jewish. That's why we have a rough time with her. <laughs> Spunky. Who knows? Who knows? The dysphoria. All over. Fleeing. And he's saying, there's others who've been through it. Others who have run the race. Others who've endured it. And so he tells them, uh, Romans uh, 15.4 says, you ought to read the Old Testament and you'll get two things out of it. How many of you have read 1 Samuel? How many of you are doing your Bible reading? Three, four, five? Man, we got that beautiful chart. Are you reading the Bible? One man in the first service read it five times so far. Guess what you get out of it, according to Romans? You'll learn patience, which is endurance, and you'll be encouraged. Read Old Testament heroes of faith. David, Daniel, Job, Joseph, on and on and on. And you'll see what God did for people of God all the way through. And you'll find out all these heroes. Uh, who are your heroes in the faith? Do you ever read Christian biography? How many of you ever heard of Mary Slessler? How many of you ever heard of J. Hudson Taylor? Did you ever read his life? William Carey? William Booth? I mean, read the life of William Booth and Catherine Booth. You will be astounding at what they did in London with 10,000 bars and alcoholics at 12 years of age. They would storm brothels and pull girls out, and the owner of the brothels would put bodyguards there to keep salvationists away. You talk about troopers, and we whine a little bit if someone doesn't shake our hand. You need to read about some real heroes. People paid a price. Uh, I think of uh, Moody, what he went through and the price he paid. The Spurgeon. And I'm thinking of the founder of the Pacific Guard Mission, Mel Trotter. A man saved after he sold his little girl's shoes for a bottle of wine, but she happened to be in the coffin when he stole her shoes. And God saved a derelict drunk, and he started Pacific Garden Mission that still goes today and broadcasts out of Chicago. I'm talking about some heroes. Do you have any that have run this race? I was at a 50th anniversary uh, yesterday of Jim and Laura Snyder. They celebrate their 50th anniversary. And... Uh, Many wonderful tributes were given to them and the kind of people and how they'd helped so many others. And uh, Jim, it was his turn to get up. And so he gets up, 50 years of marriage, and uh, some storms. Had a boy there that he didn't know was out of pocket for years. He was so strung out on drugs, 
He didn't know if he'd ever see him again. That boy finally was converted and now pastors at the church we were at. And Jim, giving God glory, and then he said, this man over here, this pastor, saved my marriage. I was a bitter, angry man who'd been hurt, and I came full of problems. And there was even pastors who said, we don't want you in our church. You're a problem. And this guy right over here, he took me under his wing when nobody wanted me. And I've been married 50 years because he talked me out of my anger, my jealousy. My first wife left me and broke my heart. I found this girl. I even, one of his best friends said, don't marry that girl. She's too nice for you. <laughs> and he let me go to the wedding, being his wedding party. Said, no, no, she's not for you, Jim. You're too lousy. But you crazy girls marry us anyway. But he had a hero in that room, and there were some others. I was going through some stuff the other day. Just opened up a, a drawer and found out gems I had there. And I found this little sheet here. It, it's called I Remember. It was written uh, May uh, 2002. In May 1936, any of you remember that? The young family of Lawrence Howard migrated from El Dorado, Kansas, to Visalia, California. I asked her to write this because I heard this story so many times. I wanted to get it right. Our mother came to California with Hazel and Paul on a Greyhound bus, and my dad hitchhiked. In September, Hazel entered the first grade at Carrie Barnett Elementary School. Her first grade teacher, I heard this all my life, was Mrs. Streifler. You got it? Mrs. Streifler. The, the test on the message will be Mrs. Streifler. You got it. Mrs. Streifler, an older woman. She was so kind and gentle with me, and I learned from her. At this time, I'm a woman of 71 years, but it's just like yesterday. I was six years old again. Our family was struggling to have daily bread. There was not a surplus of anything. We children did not realize that we were financially broke. All we had was mom and dad and, and other relatives, and life was good. One day I got up and was planning to get ready for school. My mom told me that I would not be going to school. I asked her why not, and she told me we had nothing for, to give her for breakfast and nothing to send for my lunch. She said, I will not send you out without food. The next day when I arrived at school, Mrs. Streifler saw me in the hall and greeted me and then asked why I wasn't in school the day before. Was I sick? I assured her I was not and told her what my mom said. When you're six years old, you don't know how to fake it. You don't, have, you don't know how to say everything's okay. And I said, my mom wouldn't send me because there's no food. She asked if my dad had a job, and I said, he was looking for work, but they didn't have enough gas for the car to get to the job. Just oaky white trash. 
Later that morning, Mrs. Streifler came and asked me if I would like to go with her for lunch. I was delighted and excited about having lunch with my teacher. So off we went across the street to the school cafeteria. She explained how I should order a hot dish, bread and butter, milk and dessert. And I know this because I've heard my sister say, first time she ever ate mashed potatoes and the first time she ever drank milk from a carton. She couldn't figure out how the cows pulled that off. <laughs> we had a great lunch. Then back to school. Later that day, she and the school nurse paid a visit to my folks and brought groceries and gas money. The school teachers in 19, what was I, I said 38? 36. The next day, Mrs. Streifler came to me and asked if I would like to eat at the cafeteria every day at noon for the rest of the school year. It sounded like a great idea, and I responded enthusiastically. Hazel liked to eat. So every school day, I had a hot lunch for the rest of the term and never once had any thought about how it was being paid for. After all, my teacher was important. And if she said I could eat there, then I could eat there. When the soles were worn through on my shoes, she asked me to tell my mom I would be late getting home and she would see that I got home safely. Several other kids and myself played on the swings and slides until Mrs. Streifler came and called us. She and two other teachers took us downtown, fitted us for new shoes and socks. How could I not love someone who was so loving and kind to me as a six-year-old girl? It simply mirrors back God's love to me. Do you have any of those in your life? Anyone believed in you when no one else did? They'd share their food, their home. And as Jim shared, this man took me under his arm when I wasn't worth loving. We need some heroes. We need heroes of faith, heroes who have loved, heroes who have done it and not told me to do it. An ounce of example is worth a ton of exhortation. You ought to do it, you ought to do it, you ought to do it. But would you show me how? Show me how. In this race, you've got to pick your heroes. You've got to pick the people that have run it and did it God's way. He goes on to say, we need a coach. And when you get Jesus for the coach, he's the only one that ran the race perfectly. Uh, he set all records. None of them will be broken. He's the ultimate model, the ultimate example. He has become the author and the finisher of our race. And there's something about when you get Jesus for a coach and you run this race, uh, he's going to tell you, first of all, get rid of the weight. And the term to get rid of the weight was used two ways. Quit being obese. It was used of physical weight. You're an athlete. You need to lose some weight. And it was also used of any physical encumbrance. You'd sometimes see people running with five-pound weights 
in each hand for athletic purposes. But when you're going to run the real race, you want to get the, the Greeks stripped off to nothing. They'd, they would run in the Olympiad. They'd run in it nude because nothing, no clothing. The ultimate goal was not modesty but winning. Strip off. Run. Let nothing encumber you. And here he's using it of us. Have you got rid of any of the things that are tripping you up in the race? God tells us a lot of things to get rid of. Get, are you an angry person? I know some Chris has been angry for 20 years. The Eagles have a wonderful spiritual song called Get Over It. Get over it. Get over it. When are you going to let it go? When are you going to keep bringing up somebody done me wrong? Welcome to the human race. Huh? Why do you think I listen to so much blues? I can start saying, you done me wrong too. Everybody's got a story. Somebody done me wrong. Yeah, that's part of the human condition. And I guarantee you, most likely, you've done somebody wrong. But you don't talk about that. Look, keep on looking at my notes. The Bible says to get rid of some things. Get rid of anger. Colossians 3.8, rage, malice, slander, talking down people, filthy language. I'll just say, have you quit cussing yet? I meet some cussing Christians. You know, uh, I used to be good at that, but that was before I was saved. Some of you have stayed in shape. You need to drop bad language. Drop bad language. When you hit your finger with a hammer, say, praise the Lord. (laughs) Come on. You don't need, well, all right. Uh, First Peter says, put away malice, which means bad, evil, uh, hypocrisy. Are you faking it or are you for real? You, t- you say you love me, but you really don't, but that looks good because it's church language. Quit being a hypocrite. I know you don't. And I know you when you do, it just comes through. It just comes through. Uh, get rid of Ephesians 4, 31 says, get rid of bitterness. Bitterness is holding over anger a long time. And I've met a lot of bitter Christians for some reason. Uh, once again, I got hurt or um, whatever. I just refuse to forgive it. I forgive. I, I refuse to let it go. And so they stay in bondage. They, they, they're always like gathering barnacles on the vessel because they never... They never, no fight is ever over. And isn't this what ruins early marriages? That every, you have a few spats, and you can think, I'm glad we got through of that. And then you come up for a fresh round, and all 13 past skirmishes are repeated. And you also did this. Well, that was a year ago. It is fresh in my memory. When are you going to get it out and put it past? Are you just collecting? Collecting. And so you're never starting fresh. If you would just drop this, you could have a fresh fight. 
but you're still having the old one. Drop it. Drop it. You can't run the race by collecting grievances. You can't run the race by being bitter towards people. You can't run the race angry. Oh, you can be in the race, but you can't win. You're going to be distracted. Then he said, you ought to not only get rid of these hindrances, these weights, but he just uses generic term. Get rid of the sin. And he doesn't use the, he just uses sin. So they debate, what sin is he talking about? Well, one view is we don't know. That's, that's one view. Take that. Another one is, I think it fits the context to primarily, I think, of unbelief. Because he said, believe God. Believe God. And now there's a sin that will trip all of us up is when we stop trusting God at any moment in the race. So I'm inclined to believe that. Some think it's just generically whatever sin waits that may be innocent. Uh, things you give yourself to may become sin, that you'll give more of your time to that than you would. You know, a, a, a good test, it, well, I better leave it alone. It's too convicting now, uh, especially in the playoffs. So let me go on. Uh, you can only make it in this race with the coach. It says he's the author and the finisher of the race. And that means he is the leader of this race. And he's the only one that can enable you to complete it. The word finisher there means to complete or to arrive. You won't make it at the end of the race without Jesus. And people who begin to lag in the race, you know what happens? They've taken their eyes off of Jesus and put it on the church, put it on their grievances, put it on their neighbor, put it on something. And he said, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's your coach. Look at what he tells. A runner can't do this. No, you ain't going to win, honey. You may get run for politics, but you're not going to win the race. You got to go. Your mind is on one object, one goal, one target. Jesus is the coach for this race. And when you talk to him, he'll tell you how to and sustain you and coach you to the other side. You know, the big thing today is to get a life coach. Well, I don't have a life coach except in Jesus. But he's a great life coach. Tells me what to get rid of. Tells me attitudes to change. And uh, tells me how to be a winner. Um, I think, thirdly, we need to learn endurance. And he uses Jesus. Look to him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and at the end got the joy and was seated at the Father's right hand. But what he's saying is there was the cross before the crown. 
There was suffering before the finish line. And when you take athletics, he's talking athletics. Paul talks about, I finished the race. He talks in 1 Corinthians, I disciplined myself for the race. Think athletically. Some of you have never competed. You don't know what he's talking about. He's comparing this. There's something about endurance. Keep showing up. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. Keep discipline. Endurance. You know what he's saying to these believers? You must expect some pain. Anything worth gaining is worth paining. Every once in a while, I join the YMCA. Why do you laugh? Can you see it? Sunken chest, no arms. And I'm really good for about three days. I mean, I get a year membership at a time. Dave Ramsey said, you're wasting your money. You need to get my university and how to be frugal. But I'll join it, and this is what I usually want to do. I, I did it primarily for swimming because of my back, and so I did it for that. But then as I got better, I wanted to attack the weight room. They told me I needed to do 10 repetitions. I did 30. I showed them Rambo's cousin is here. <laughs> well, guess what? I wasn't there for two weeks. I was healing up. And that ice and cold doesn't work too good when your muscles. I said, man, let's cancel the membership. I didn't come here for pain. I came here to get in shape. And they didn't say it, but they said, do you know what we're working with, with you? You haven't done any exercise. See, I don't like exercise. It's the most boring thing we've ever invented. I mean, I have had, how many of you own a treadmill? How many of you use it? Raise that hand. Leave it up. This is the noble. Okay. We, we hung clothes on it. Uh, we hang shirts on it. And after a while, I said, Carolyn, we got closets. What's this doing out here? Well, just, I don't know. There's something. It's kind of new age decoration, you know. I don't like pain, and I love to play a game where I win. Tim, before his job review, we'd play ping pong, and I, I won a lot. But he has job security now, and he wins. Uh, his review's coming up. Exit exam. Uh, because we, we've ponged for years. We love to pong. Great, good player. I loved, I grew up with competitive sports, no matter, basketball, baseball, street stuff, no pro teams, but always won. Man, you want to win. You want to win. Exercise is for winning. It's not for pain. Can I get a witness? You know what I mean? Some of you, the only exercise you get is running through the fridge. 
And so we're an out-of-shape bunch, the American people. And when I was in Germany, everybody walked. It seemed like they walked everywhere. Uh, man, I, I've got three blocks to go to the store. Do you think I walk? I might have pain. He's telling these believers, pain comes with the race. Whoever told you, hear me, whoever told you the Christian life was without pain, it wasn't God. Persecution, suffering, jails, arrest, stripped of your income, martyred. The very word witness here is our word martyr. God never said, he said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He never promised you a Cadillac. He never promised you a big church. He never promised you immunity from trouble. No way. Part of God's curriculum is to exercise you in endurance. Can you keep running when you want to give in? Can you keep going when you want to throw in the towel? Can you keep going? A lot of people are a seven-day wonder. Got all this zeal and everything. I remember Ted Montoy when he first came to this church. I thought of that, of even the Fernandes boys when I first, all the zeal. I'm this. I'm not impressed with a bunch of zeal. Can you run the whole race? It's not what you do the first week. Are you still running? Are you still growing? Are you still getting rid of the junk in your life that's keeping you from winning? It's a long haul. My dad used to tell about spirited horses on the farm. And he's talking about how those horses uh, would get so spooked at times in lightning storms. And let me tell you, California didn't have a clue of what a lightning storm is. Go to Oklahoma and Arkansas. You won't find out what a lightning storm is. Out here, it's earthquakes. There, honey, you think you're going to be fried. It's scary. And he said, you ought to see those horses get spooked. He said, do you think they're going to throw you? They're going to raise up? He said, and he said, he's seen times just look in a field because they plowed with oxen. And he said, you'd think those oxen never knew the lightning flash. They just... Boom, thunder. The horse is spooked many times, scared. You had to be careful, didn't run off with you. Oxen just say, oh, another storm. Another storm. He said you could plow oxen right into a storm, but it was hard to get a horse to do it. One could outrun the other 10 to 1. Are you an oxen? Can you just persevere in the yoke of Christ through Job's suffering, through being imprisoned, 
Would you want your husband to be Paul and know he's going to be martyred by the time he's 55 and they're going to bring his head out in a platter because Nero doesn't like gospel preachers? What about the greatest prophet among us? His head falling into a bag because a sensuous girl heard her mother say, get the head of John the Baptist. Where in the world was God when he was cutting off the head of the greatest prophet? Where is God when you're hurting? Where is God in the pain? Look unto Jesus. Don't look at a prosperity preacher. Look to Jesus. He'll tell you the truth about the race. He endured the cross, despising its shame. He never got immunity from it because he could say, well, you know, I am God's son. God, it said in Hebrews 5, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Did you know God is going to train you and he's going to have to make us all taste some suffering on the track? You've got to look to Jesus. He ran the race. He sat down at the Father's right hand. The fourth thing you need is a goal. And the goal was two things. The joy that was set before him and Jesus. Jesus said, I endured the pain because the goal was the reward of being seated at my Father's right hand, carrying out my ministries, and just reaping the reward of the cross. I'm setting in that joy. It's not just, uh, some say it was the joy before the cross. No, there's a joy. I'll put up with the pain for the joy that I'm going to get when this is over with. Joy comes in the morning. I love Richard Smallwood's song, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. The pain's right now. The cross before the crown. The pain before the gain. I want you to know one minute in heaven will erase every sorrow you ever had. One, did you know what? One minute. One minute in heaven. I love the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Are you looking to Jesus or the waves? Any price we must pay is worth the joy that's ahead. Worth the joy, the goal. Now, he said, let me tell you why I told you this. Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word weary is mental. It's, It's translated sick in James 5 but it was used of mental weariness, that you would not become sick mentally of your perspective. And then he uses a graphic word, or faint-hearted, and it was a little word to loose with a preposition that you would be loosened out. That, that is, you would lose your strength. You would be stripped of the ability. I'm saying this lest you lose your mental health and that you feel yourself being totally undone, unloosed, 
no longer any strength for the journey. I'm going to write this to you to encourage you. The next section, he'll tell you, it's painful being a son trained by a biblical father. It's painful to go through the process of coming from an infant to an adult son in the ancient world. It includes pain, spanking, chastening, scourging, rebuking, all to train a little sinner brought home from the hospital to be a godly acting son. You don't get them without pain. And he said, I want you to run. Consider the heroes that have already done it. Two, look to Jesus the coach who will get you in shape for the race. Three, athletes know you got to endure. Someone said of a fighter, we got a brother back here who was a fighter for years in the ring, outstanding fighter, that the ring does not make the fighter, it only reveals him. Some of you are flabby, and the race is showing it. You're out of breath. You can only last a little bit. Will you persevere? Will you finish strong? Let me just read these summary thoughts, then we're done. This tells us we need to imitate people of faith. Imitate them. Imitate them. Two, we need to remove every hindrance that keeps us from running well. Three, recognize unbelief for what it is. It is sin not to trust God. You can't run until you figure out where you're going to put your eyes. If you don't look to Jesus, you're losing already. You know, um, I was reading Randy Alcorn talking about getting rid of the things that hinder us. And he tells the story of a man that came into him had been battling immorality a lot. And he came in, and Randy's trying to help him. And the guy said, well, I've been praying to the Lord, but uh, I just keep falling into it. I just keep falling into it. God's just not answering my prayers. And Randy said, well, let's do this. Let us pray. And he used a book that this book, will not fall. Lord, please keep this book from not falling. Well, I look at there. He didn't answer my prayer. I prayed. Wait, wait. He said, and here you are. You're going to the same places you've always gone and fell into sin. You're looking at the same stuff. You're looking at the same woman. You're thinking the same thoughts, and you say, Lord, you just haven't delivered me. Can you turn off the wrong channel? Do you have enough gumption not to turn on a porno website? God isn't going to do it for you, honey. Sell the thing. Get a hammer and hit it. You know what Jesus said? Hear me. 
If you can't control your hand, what? Well, it's all in my eyes. Well, pluck it out. You don't need eyes. You need to get a pure mind. Cut it out. If some of you men come to church with patches on your eyes, I know your problem. <laughs> get rid of it, honey. Chop it off. Well, Lord, I've been praying about it. No, you haven't. You're blaming God for what you don't have the gumption to say no to. He told you to flee, not God. You do the fleeing, God will do the helping. I'm about to preach now. I haven't been here for a long time. It's my turn. I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life, right? Well, I just can't. So the Christian life is can't. I thought I can do all things. Please, please, Lord, keep it from, please overcome gravity. Please overcome. Lord, take away this sex drive. Well, he will keep getting older and die. <laughs> Some of you are non-threats anyway, but you're a hero in your mind. We're playing games. Get rid of, get rid of your filthy mouth. I quit cussing within two weeks of being saved. Walter T. Helms, I am after guy, just saved. Stood at the gate, the guy comes in, we always cut load each other, and I cussed him a little. Just like that, something went off in me, and God said, we, we need to talk a little bit, get over here. So I got over in the corner, what is it, Lord? Are you aware of what you said? Well, yeah, I just greeted him. <laughs> He's one of my buddies. He said, well, I want you to go apologize to him. Oh, no, no, Lord, that's not cool at Helms. You don't apologize. I want to stay with the in crowd. I'm kind of like Ramsey Lewis, the in crowd. <laughs> and he said, uh, I said, go apologize. He's going to make fun of me, Lord. I said, apologize. Hey, bro, um, you know that, you know that, whatever I said. I said, I, I'm sorry. Uh, he said, get out of Howard. You, man, what are you doing? That's what we talk. What, what are you apologizing? You've never apologized. Then this was the real hard one. Watch this. Well, I now belong to Jesus. And I belong to him when I am after you. I was wrong. I can't do that anymore and get away with it. I want to. That's where I feel it, my soul. <laughs> but he said, you've got to change your vocabulary. Amen. Have you changed yours? Yes. Is your speech seasoned with grace and salt? And I use that. It's pretty strong in the pulpit, but I'm in Richmond area. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you ever apologize to your wife and your temper fits? Old man of God. Did you know that most churches, only 17% of them are attended by men? 
We're still doing pretty good. By the way, we need to start inviting our oikos. I don't, there's too many blanks in the pew. And by the way, on the first service, you tell the first service people, sit in those first four rows because I get under a heavy anointing if I can look at them. They get scared in the first service. They keep moving back. It's like, it's like Death Valley days. We ought to be busting the seams because the storm's coming and somebody's going to hell. We ought to get busy and don't claim your laziness as a gift from God. Some of you need to get off a of Benadryl and get some energy for God. Oh, I've spent, I've said everything and more than Carolyn thinks I should have. Let's stand. Come on. <laughs> Father, we're grateful to you that we know you, that you, Jesus, put us in the race. You're the author. You're the leader, and only by your grace and help could we ever finish. For we grow weary, we want to faint, we want to throw in the towel, we want to give up. We don't like the pain, we don't like how long the journey seems at times. Strengthen your children wherever they are. You will tell us later in the chapter to strengthen the knees that are feeble and lift up the hands that are drooping. May we encourage one another in this race, that it's a corporate race, not just an individual race. Help us to care for one another for the glory of our coach, our Savior who ran the race through the five nails of Calvary but is now seated and enjoying the joy of his father never to be pained again. This is our prospect. Someday, no pain, no more testing, no more training, just basking in the presence of God forever. God bless you. You're dismissed.